If you look around campus, you will actually see a handful of paintings that are signed GKT. The reason I signed them GKT is that if I signed them with the last name Templemeyer, I would be limited only to very large canvases. I would never be able to get my whole name on a, on a small canvas. I'm really honored to be here with you in chapel this morning, and I want to talk about a painting that I painted for the Tyndale community when you came into this new campus, and I th think it's on the screen behind me. Quite often, I will have, does it look familiar to you? Have you seen it? Because you're gonna break my heart if you shake your head. <laughs> Uh, quite often I'll have people who either saw it here or have seen it online talk to me about the painting and, and I'll say to them, do you know what it is? Do you know what that's a painting of? And they'll say, well, yeah, of course, it's those trees down in Dundas Square. And my response is, if you get on the subway and go downtown and look around Dundas Square very carefully, you will see that there are actually no trees in Dundas Square. But the title of this painting is the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Dundas Square. And so then I like to ask people, look at the painting and can you tell me which of those trees you think is the tree of life and which you think is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And I've been asking this question for about a year and a half now and Christian responses to that question right now are about two to one in favor of saying that the tree with the black and white fruit is the tree of life and that the tree with the red fruit is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm trying to figure that out, but that's how, that two, that's how one out of two people are responding thus far. When I first showed the painting to my wife, she said to me, you cannot hang that at Tyndale. And I said, why not? And she said, because I don't know whether or not you noticed this, but there is a billboard advertising vodka in the painting. And you, you can't hang that in Tyndale. And, and I said to her, honey, I did notice it. I painted it. I was the one who, <laughs> so, so I did actually notice what was there. But the, the point is, have you noticed what brand of vodka it is? And the, the reason I asked that question is that I thought that for a group of evangelical students, that there could be nothing possibly more intoxicating than absolute vodka. <laughs> I painted this for you because I wanted you to think about what you're doing here. And I think that this very primal story of Adam and Eve and these two trees really becomes one of the driving metaphors of the Bible and a description of different ways that we can attempt to live out our belief in Jesus Christ. Moses, for example, stands before the people in one of his last talks to them and he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that your descendants may live. 
Love the Lord your God, obey him and remain faithful to him for he is your life and he will prolong your life in the land the Lord swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If we jump ahead in the narrative, a a huge leap, we see the development of a nation that goes off into captivity in Babylon. And after a period of time, there is a very partial restoration of Israel. There are a number of Jewish people that come back and they rebuild the temple, but as much as a number of them are able to come back to the land and they are able to rebuild the temple, they notice that God doesn't seem to have come back. That one of the great differences between the old temple and the second temple was not so much architectural, The glory of God never showed up. The Chabad, the the energy that caused the bush to burn without being consumed, the cloud of glory that appeared over the mountain and then appeared in the temple, it had never returned. And the writings of Jewish writers in the period into which Jesus came is really quite consumed with the question, Why is it that we could get back to our land and our temple, but God has not returned with us? When will God return? And John introduces his biography of Jesus by saying this about him. Life was in him, and that life was the light of humanity. For although the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And as we read the New Testament, we begin to realize that these two trees are a metaphor for choices we make about how we understand God and how we understand ourselves in relationship with God and how we live out that faith. Let's this back way up to the beginning for a minute and ask the question, what exactly is this tree of the knowledge of, whoa, there's a step there. <laughs> what, <laughs> I do that in my own church and that step has been there for years. What, what is the essence of that tree? And it seems to me that God gave Adam and Eve this simple job and he gave them the tree to eat and Eve became tempted by something that God had made. This fruit on the tree, according to the snake, was actually better than God. Because if Eve ate of that fruit, she would become like God. And as Eve's desire for that fruit grew within her, she began to desire something that God had created more than she desired God himself. She began to replace her simple trust in God with a trust in this fruit. And the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, try to say that fast five times. That fruit became to Eve not only a snare herself, but it became for us our first idol. And perhaps our most enduring 
idol. Can I live out my life simply by receiving from God what he gives? Or will I make my life a moral exchange with God? Well, the nation of Israel develops and the nation as it is first founded after this talk by Moses is a nation that is collected around the presence of God. But after a while, the people look around and they're kind of embarrassed by that. It makes them weird. And so they say to the prophet, do you think we could have a king so that we could be like other nations? And they had a king so that they could become like other nations. But that was part of really a a much broader thing that was happening in them. They wanted to be like other nations. And so they began to commit acts of idolatry. They began to worship the gods of other nations. And the word of God, I'm sorry, the, the worship of God very often defines how we behave. What we say about God and worship becomes our morality. And as they began to worship other gods than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they began to lose their sense of justice and equity. And they became a social mess. And finally God said, look, if you want to be so much like the other nations, go be with them. And they lost their land. They were carried off into exile in Babylon, where suddenly they really began to miss their land and to miss their temple. They really wanted to go back. Let me ask you a question. Was God not in Babylon? Could they not have encountered God in Babylon? Their problem perhaps was not so much that God wasn't in Babylon to be met with and worshiped and loved, but that they had replaced their own religion with God and their own religion had become an idol for them. And they thought they could not possibly sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. What I'm suggesting to you is that these good gifts that God had given them, the gift of the land, the gift of temple worship, those gifts began to take first place in their thinking about God and became simply a more Jewish-centric form of idolatry. Well, they were allowed to return to their homeland and under the leadership of men like Nehemiah and Ezra, they they did get back home. They did build a temple. But while they were in Babylon, they had encountered an even greater snare, an even greater idol. Because they did not have the temple and they did not have the land, but they did have the law. And they knew that they had been exiled because they had disobeyed God. And so in a very understandable way, they were really, really intent on never disobeying God again. 
and they became extremely meticulous about the law. When they got back to the land, Ezra was approached by the precursors of the Samaritan people who wanted to help build the temple, and he said, no, you can have nothing to do with the temple because you are not pure enough. He said to all of the men who had married women that were not Israelites, you need to leave your wife and your kids, just send them away. I wonder if he had a job at Focus with the Family, Focus on the Family. And somehow, the law, the letter of the law, became more important to them than the intent of the law. That a rigidity about the law eliminated love and sacrifice and compassion. And the people come back to their land missing the glory of God, missing the Chabad of God, because they have become enslaved to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Moses, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But did not God give them the law? Was not the law a gift from God? Well, of course it was. The difficulty is when we take a gift from God and we make it God. And Jesus came instead with grace and truth, a tree of life. As Shannon mentioned, I was in the first graduating class from the Valley Connor campus. And as a former student coming back, one of the things I'm really curious about, just by the way, is, is there still a marble statue of Rebecca around here somewhere? Where, where is it? Pardon me? At the admission center. It should be at the admission center, but I'm not sure whether the, the acoustics in here are great speaking, but really bad for listening. It, let me ask you this. Do, do students still sort of play this game to sort of turn Rebecca around, you know, so that you get the, that side view? <laughs> and, then, and then more repressed staff come back and turn it back the other way. Does that still happen? You know, the other thing that I've often thought, there's been all sorts of renovation around these two campuses, and the, the, where I graduated from is now a pile of rubble. Uh, isn't it a shame they never found that secret tunnel? Uh, I see the way you're responding, the rumor of the secret tunnel is, is it's lost. You'll have to talk to me afterwards, and I'll explain to you the secret tunnel. So when I started at the campus up there, like with this, this is truly a beautiful, beautiful chapel. I did not wear one of my usual preaching shirts today because I thought no matter what I wore, I was going to clash with the chapel. <laughs> one thing I'm pretty sure about this chapel, though, it was not designed by a Baptist. 
And we, we had the same issue in 1976 that we were coming into a chapel that had been used by a Roman Catholic community and so we had to cleanse it of idolatry. And uh, outside the chapel, outside the main chapel, there was a little area that was a shrine dedicated to the Virgin Mary. And there was a, a marble altar and a statue of the Virgin Mary on it. And of course, you can't have that because it's Romanish. And what they had discovered, though, is that when they took the marble altar out of the main chapel, they discovered those marble altars are really heavy. And so they tried to figure out, what are we going to do about the Mary Chapel? And they came up with the perfect solution. I really honestly wish I were making this up, but I'm not. Someone made a Bible out of plywood. There was this huge plywood Bible, and it was opened and painted to look like a Bible. And inscribed upon the open pages of that plywood Bible were the words to John chapter 3, verse 16, in the King James Version of the Bible. And, and we put that Bible on the altar to Mary so that whenever you walked into chapel, you would walk past this little shrine with a marble altar and a big plywood Bible on it. Thank God we got rid of the idols. I need to tell you that my four years here, by here I mean there and there, were four of the most spiritually dry and arid years of my life. The distance between me and my relationship with God grew to be painful at times. Because day after day, paper after paper, exam after exam, I was being tempted. I was being tempted to abandon simply accepting what God had given to me and turning it into an intellectual exercise and then becoming proud of how well I did on the intellectual exercise. I came to devalue and mistrust my mystical experiences with God, but that was okay because I was able to replace them with very logical propositions about God. And the fruit of that tree was very bitter. I found that I was becoming judgmental and argumentative in a way that I had never been judgmental and argumentative before. There was this huge battle between my desire for the tree of life and my desire for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying about your education or about your intellect. 
These are some of the most important years of your life. God has you here for a reason. This is God's place for you to be. Don't expect to find it spiritually easy because you are going to find that to be a very complicated temptation. Do you, do you remember when you first thought about coming to Tyndale and you thought, great, a Christian school, I'll be close to God all the time. Is it working out like that for you? There are things that I learned here that I use every day. I had a first year course in hermeneutics that I, I use every day. Of course, we didn't call it hermeneutics because when all of us started that course, none of us knew what the word hermeneutics actually meant. So we called it methods of Bible study. I, I don't know where I would be without that course. It, like, it, was, it, it, it sounds really boring, but it was transformative. It was really important. You're learning valuable, important stuff here. And at a much wider range than this school offered when I was a student here. It, it's good stuff you're learning. But do you know what? It's not God. Here's the deal about God. If you can explain it, if you can describe it, if you can provide the details about it, if you can very carefully parse what is true and what is false, what is wrong and what is right, if you can do that, whatever it is you're talking about may be something, but it's not God because it's too small to be God. You can know God. But sometimes he's really hard to know about. So, if you're a teacher here, if you're, if you're a faculty member here, I want to say to you as part of the constituency that relies upon this place, you have an important job. And your job is not to give these students the right answers. Your job is to help them ask good questions. Questions that are so good that your students will never fully figure out the answer. That's your job. And if you're a student here, I truly express for you the hope that when you graduate and you walk away with your cap and your gown and your hood, that you will know less than you knew when you enrolled. That will have made your education here quite a success. I hope that while you are here, you will learn to fear and mistrust certainty. And you will learn to love and to value mystery. And that everything you learn will point you toward that mystery, whatever it is you're learning about. This is the probably the most religious painting I've ever painted. I don't generally paint religious paintings. I paint landscapes and cityscapes and an occasional portrait. 
But when I'm painting those things that I look at and see, I'm really painting God. I'm really painting what I see of the presence of God in the world around me. I'm painting mystery. Whatever you're learning about, it points you to mystery. Well, you know, I hope if you eventually become a nurse, you're fairly certain about what medication you give to me if I'm a patient. But in your thinking about God, I truly hope that you value mystery. The Bible begins with two trees and it ends with only one. He showed me the river of living water sparkling like crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the broad street. On both sides of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. There will no longer be any curse. God is bringing us back to the tree of life. One of the things I've noticed about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that it always divides us. It always categorizes us. It always separates us. But the tree of life, its leaves are for the healing of the nations. It brings us together in something larger than the knowledge of good and evil. It brings us together because the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will no longer exist and people will not need lamplight or sunlight because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The tree of life is the grace and the truth that you experience when you encounter Jesus Christ. Don't sacrifice your attention on the tree of the knowledge of God. Don't sacrifice the tree of life for your attention to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil while you're here. And now, go have some lunch.